The beginning of wisdom is fearing God. Think about this. When you and I begin to look at God in holy awe, fear, and reverence, think about what's going to happen to our wisdom meter. I mean, just think about this. This is not rocket science. I mean, when we begin to look at Him for who He is, what happens to our wisdom meter? We see Him. We look through Him. No longer going through the self-life and the enemy of self and then the me planet. It's just God and your glory and your praise. Everything else just goes away. It's like, God, you're it. You're more than enough. You're all I need. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we just simply pray a prayer of desperation, of dependence. We pray that we would surrender all to you. I pray if there's one here today that has not truly surrendered everything to you, God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that today will be the day. God, we renounce the schemes of the enemy. We pray that he would have no sway in this place. In our homes, we pray he'd have no sway. God, do the work only you can do. Move me out of the way so we just hear from you. Move me out of the way so that we just see you clearly. And to you be the praise. To you be the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen, amen. Take your Bible, turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, looking at one verse here today, verse 13. James chapter 3, verse 13. And as you're turning there, what's been on my heart over the last week in preparation has been several things. The Lord has been working on my heart and continuing to reveal in me a wickedness and sin areas that need to be killed and pruned. But one of the thoughts that really struck me over this past week has been this thought of that we never take for granted the opportunity to gather together. Amen. I pray that we never take this for granted. Uh, There's that old song, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Amen. And we're living in struggling days. We're living in difficult days. We're living in perilous times. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And because that's a reality by the sovereign hand of God, we still play a role in taking action in our faith. That I'm responsible for my faith. You're responsible for your faith. I can't blame you. You can't blame me. This is something we got to do business one-on-one to God in. And I pray that we never take this for granted. I pray that we understand clearly that really it's that deal of thinking through this thought of, you know, you're only connected as much to your church as you really want to be. I mean, just think through that. I've heard people say this, well, I I don't feel real connected. Well, I understand the point, but then you begin to ask a few questions and you understand why they're not connected. You know, if you're here once or twice a month, it's going to be hard to be connected. 
we got to be involved. Uh, just like a marriage, uh, you only talk to your spouse uh, once or twice a month, that's going to be a challenging marriage, amen? With your children, the same thing. You go to work, the same thing. Uh, we need to invest the same diligence, the same intentionality, the same time uh, with this regarding our relationship to Christ and loving the bride of Christ. That's the church. He died for his church. A lost and dying world is not going to want to be committed to something that we ourselves are not committed to. Now, they're going to sniff that out pretty quickly. But when they see that, hey, we are committed, we're all in, we're, we're sold out, we're surrendered, that's going to preach a thousand messages to a world that's hurting, that's looking for something to dull the pain, to fill the void. Well, with that, as you go into this one verse of James 3.13, we're going to dive into this section here. We were just in James 3, 1 through 12, taming the tongue. And now we're going to be in James 3, 13 through 18, looking at human wisdom versus godly wisdom. So you got human wisdom versus godly wisdom. So here we have this in James 3, 13. And here's what the one verse says. Very simple. It says a question out of the gate, James does. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works, how? In the meekness of wisdom. So let me read that again just to sink in. I want to make sure it's really sinking in so we're getting this. And even as I'm talking right now, I pray the Holy Spirit's just stirring in your heart, my heart, of what he wants you to hear, what he wants me to hear today. So here it is again, James 3.13. Question, who is wise and understanding among you? Great question. Here's the thought behind this. By his good conduct, let him show. Don't miss that. Let him show. Show what? His works. How? So let him show how in the meekness of wisdom. So again, context, you look back at these 12 verses that are really tough in the flesh to tame the tongue, to get the tongue under control. The little member of the body that does such, such wielding of deadly poison. It, it starts literally entire force on fire. One little spark from the tongue can do such great damage to a home, a business, a ball team, a church that many times is irreversible. The damage is so great. So you look at that first part of James 3 question he throws down here. I love this. He's pretty direct, isn't he? That's what I love about the book of James. He's just direct. He's just like, here it is. This is the way this works. Like it or lump it is basically what he's saying here. Here's the question. Who is wise and understanding among you? I mean, you really get the idea that James is, is a little ticked off here, a little bit. I mean, he's just kind of at the point. He says, look, I'm going to give you 12 verses. And you got to remember that when the Bible was written, there weren't verses. There weren't chapters. It's one flowing thought. And so the translators afterwards broke that down, added that in there. A good thing, a positive thing. But here he is, he's got 12 verses of, look, here is the reality of what your tongue can do. Like, this is what it can do if you don't get it under control. It will absolutely destroy you and everyone around you. And then all of a sudden, in verse 13, we think he's pivoting, but he's not. Because he goes from 12 verses of, look, if you don't kill this in your life, it's going to destroy you. Like, it's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy everyone around you. 
And then he goes to 13, he asks this question, he goes, okay, you're not getting this. Who's wise? Who's understanding among you? Let me ask you a question is what he's saying to drive a point home. Now, again, we've talked about this before. So in the book of James, it's kind of the proverb, so to speak, we call it of, of the New Testament. When you jump around through there, you go, man, this is some wild stuff, so applicable, so real, so raw, so open, so cut to the heart. And as you look at that, what happens as you really begin to unpack it, you see that James is dealing with issues. Now, whether it's James and whether it's Paul, you typically don't deal with an issue in writing unless there's an issue. Amen? Otherwise, you got too much free time on your hands. You know what I mean? Let me just go deal with issues that aren't there. That'd be pretty weird. No, he's dealing with issues that are there. So what can we deduct, church? Well, there's not a lot of wisdom going on here, right? Not a lot of understanding. Not a lot of good conduct. And we see that all in the... James, we see that in the, in the church in Corinth, in Galatia, Philippi, Ephesus. It's kind of like she got this narrative of one jacked up church after another that they're writing to. I mean, there's like off the rails. It's like, let's make this a free-for-all. But what happens when we do that? Well, it becomes a free-for-all. There's chaos. That's why we, we work to get the train on the tracks. That's what James is trying to do here. And he says, who's wise? Who's prudent? Who's aware? Who has good judgment? As you could say that. Here's what he's really saying. Who's living out the truth of God's word? If you had to just summarize this question, when he says, who's wise? Who's understanding? He's really asking based on context, and context is always king. He says this, Who's living out the truth of God's word? You say, where do you get that from? Well, remember he said this, that we want to be just not sayers, but we got to be obeyers. Uh, We don't want to be just people who talk a good game, but by our works, by our obedience, by submitting joyfully. That's hard though, isn't it? We live in uh, the United States of America, at least for now, the the home of the free, right? We live in these bodies of death, me monster, me universe, me planet, all about me, selfie generation, me, 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 right? What am I not getting that I so desperately crave? It does something, doesn't it? And he dealt with the same thing. And he's saying, who's wise? Who's living out the truth of the gospel? Not just talking about it. Not just checking off a box at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Who is living this in such a way that it is gripping their heart that, that when they hear the gospel, when they hear the truth of God's word, that they're like, man, that's what I want to follow. You know, it's so easy to live a life of, Mediocrity, isn't it? We just sang that song, I Surrender All. Isn't it easy, though, truthfully, to surrender some? It's easy because when there are consequences to something and we see the consequences, we typically no longer touch the hot stove. But in God's passive judgment, because He's so gracious and so merciful, 
we think when we walk in disobedience that he's somehow given the thumbs up and the green light to continue doing it. And really what he's doing is going, hey, I'm giving you another chance to repent, to turn from this. But our minds are so twisted and depraved often that the deceitfulness of sin is so real that we begin to drink the Kool-Aid, don't we? And buy into the lie. And as Romans says, exchange the truth of God for the lie. And, and that's what's going on in this context and in our context today. If you want to know what it looks like to exchange the truth of God for the lie, just look at America today. Here we are. Welcome to reality. The greatest reality TV is going on right now in our country. It is light versus darkness, holiness versus evil, Satan versus the power of Christ. And let me tell you this, there is no greater power than Jesus Christ. No matter what's going on in our culture today, Jesus Christ has already won. I'm not hoping this thing works out. I know this works out. I'm not hoping we win. I know we've already won. The battle belongs to the Lord. But there's still a role in this. When he, God, sent the kids of Israel, that ragtag bunch of nomads who disobeyed, 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 that was their MO to the promised land. Did you notice this? He would tell them this often. He would say, look, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you the land. Like he told them that on the front end, I'm giving you the land. Comma, you got to go fight for it. There's a role we play in this. Remember, we talk about obedience and works and intellectual good, check, emotional, check. Here's where it goes off the rails, the act of the will. And the act of the will is the defining moment in your life and my life of how real Jesus really is. Because when he's real, here's what happens. When he's real, I will have it intellectually. I will have it emotionally. But I'm telling you what, there's going to be proof in the pudding because there's going to be an act of the will. And I will begin to live the Christian life. Not perfectly. There's a lot of days of struggle, amen? You think through this thought of key number one. Write it down in your notes, key number one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Key number one, write it down. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Maybe you're asking right now, okay, Holy Spirit speaking to me. How do I get wisdom? Like, how do I get this? Well, there it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You say, well, where do you get that from? Well, remember this. We always make everything about Scripture. So in everything you do in your life and my life, always run to the Word first. Always. And where it speaks, well, we know pretty clearly... Where it doesn't speak, there's some liberty in that. But even where it doesn't speak, we can take other scriptures that typically can reflect and give us guidance on that same issue. And so when we go to the truth of God's word, write down Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 9.10, it's real simple. When you count, typically it's 7, 8, 9, 10, right? So Proverbs 9.10, you'll never forget this one, right? Proverbs 9.10, what does it say? There it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There it is. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. One of the translations says it like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Let's go back to James in your Bible for just a second. James 3.13, here it is, ready? Here's the question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Go back to Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, check. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, check. We just address the two questions. How do we address it? Through God's Word. 
Here's what we typically do. We call Dr. Phil and Oprah and Dear Abby. We're trying to figure out what they're saying about it. We got to go to God's words. We fall into this Humpty Dumpty, Mickey Mouse, Lucky Charms, Cracker Jack Christianity that's so pervasive that's void of the truth of God's word. God's word is sufficient in your life and my life, period. And when you think through that, you see very clearly. I want you to think about another verse. I want to give you Psalm 111.10. Psalm 111.10. So Proverbs 9.10. Now Psalm 111.10. Here it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now this is interesting. So we got Solomon in Proverbs. And now we got the psalmist writing pretty much a very similar concept, don't we? And all those who practice it have what? Have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Do you see this? You say, well, what's the fear of the Lord? Well, it's not being scared of the boogeyman, I can assure you. It's not being scared of the dark. The fear of the Lord is this. The fear of the Lord is holy awe and splendor. So I want you to think about this. Ask yourself a question as I'm asking myself right now. When is the last time you stood in awe of the Lord, truthfully? Like awe. Anyone ever been to the Grand Canyon? Three people are saved. Good grief. Okay. A couple of us. There they go. There go those Baptist hands. Okay. I've never been there. I've seen pictures. Looks amazing. Is it as amazing as it looks? Does it take your breath away? You sit there at the Grand Canyon, you step out there, do you go you know, like those glass ledges, you know what I'm talking about? Those are wild, aren't they? You're like, whoa, man, I don't think it's going to hold me, man. This is crazy, you know? You walk out on there. Do you sit there and go, man, that's pretty cool. Let's go, kids. Now, what do you do? Like, you empty the battery on your cell phone taking pictures, don't you? I mean, you're just like going berserk on this. I can't believe this. This is not Virginia. This is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. What do we do so often when we walk into the presence of the Lord? Oh, that's cool. Let's go, kids. Oh, that in a prayer meeting? Why do I want to go to that? We just get sucked into this, don't we? It's so easy to get sucked into this. It's just easy to get inundated with all the nonsense going on. Man, we need a holy awe and reverence. When's the last time that you opened your Bible and you just began to praise the Lord? I mean, just you opened it up and you're like, this is absolutely amazing. This refreshes my soul. I, I, I see clearly how awesome you are, that I fear you, that, that you're holy and, and your grace is, is, is beyond anything I can describe and your love, it endures forever and it, it makes me speechless. And You just begin to worship and, and no matter what's going on around you about, hey, I, I got to have this job and marry this person and drive this car and have this bank account and all that stuff just goes away like it should and you go, I want Jesus more than anything. That's a true fear of the Lord that we don't often see, do we? That's what he's saying here, that the beginning of wisdom is fearing God. Think about this. When you and I begin to look at God in holy awe, fear, and reverence, think about what's going to happen to our wisdom meter. I mean, just think about this. This is not rocket science. I mean, when we begin to look at him for who he is, what happens to our wisdom meter? We see him, we look through him, no longer going through the self-life and the enemy of self and, and the me planet. It's just God and your glory and your praise. Everything else just goes away. It's like, God, you're it. You're more than enough. You're all I need. That's going to revolutionize your home, your relationships with your children. 
When, when they see you, dad, grandpa, uncle, when they see you leading like you're called to lead as you fear God, as you fear Him, they say, wow, now I want what grandpa has. I want what dad has. But it's easy, isn't it, to look for wisdom in all the wrong places. You want to be wise? I mentioned before, have a high view of God and have a high view of sin. See, so what does that mean? Take God super seriously and take your personal indwelling sin super seriously. If I look at God and go, man, you're awesome, and I look at my sin and go, it's not that big a deal, there's a disconnect. You know why, church? Here's the deal on this. Because when God looks at my sin, he looks at it as a big deal. When he executed his own son that we just celebrated the Lord's Supper, he did that knowing it's a big deal. He did that knowing that only his son could atone for my sin. Only his son could atone for your sin. Only his son. I was thinking through that thought, and you know, we live in a culture that mocks God, that hates Jesus. They hate him with a vengeance. You cast the name of Jesus on the table, that divides the room. Those are fighting words. Why? Because Jesus is light. Men hate light. They love darkness because why? Their evil deeds are going to be exposed. They want to hide in the dark. That's why it's so important from Amos 8.11. Write that one down. When's the last time you wrote down Amos 8.11? Probably some of us don't even realize that's in the Bible. Amos 8.11. Behold, the days are coming. So behold, wake up is what he's saying. Wake up, shake up declares the Lord. Whatever happened, by the way, to thus saith the Lord? Whatever happened to this? Like, did that just go away? Did God not really mean that? I will send, he says this, declares the Lord, when I send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst of water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. If we are ever living in a famine right now, hearing of the words of the Lord, it is now. Amen. We are in a culture that needs Jesus, that needs the truth of God's word. You don't need to hear more stories. You don't need more smoke machines. Uh, what we need is the truth of God's word. That's what's going to sustain you. When you go to work tomorrow, that's what's going to sustain you. What you build your life upon is what your life will be built upon. How about Joel chapter 2? I love this one. Joel 2, 12 through 13. I love this. So here's Joel 2, 12 through 13. Yet even now declares the Lord. There it is. So now, not tomorrow, not next week, but now declares, thus saith the Lord, return to me, declares the Lord, return to me, repent with all of your heart, not some of your heart, not I surrender some, not I surrender three quarters, I surrender all. Why? With fasting, how? With weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. See, it's so easy to do the external, isn't it? That's what he's saying there. In the Old Testament, they would, they would literally begin to tear their garments when they were repenting. They were so broken and contrite, but it's easy if we're not careful to rip our garments, but not rip our hearts. 
See, when we rip our hearts, that's where we get changed. That's where God makes all things new. That's when he takes that marriage and reconciles it. That's when he takes the relationship of the church house and reconciles it. That's when he begins to work because we do this. We go, oh God, see my sin for what it is. I don't want to play this charade any longer. I know I'm going to be exposed at some point. I mean, I want to rip my heart wide open. Don't give me just a bypass. Give me a total heart transplant. Throw me on the operating table. And what happens? God does the work only he can do through that. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. look at the second part of this here for a moment. So one of the byproducts of being biblically wise and understanding is to daily submit, I know that's hard, to the control of the Holy Spirit so that tongue will be tamed. Here James answers his own question, the second part, by his good conduct, let him show his work. So his good conduct, his genuine, his approved conduct, what's conduct, his behavior, it's how you walk in life, how you live your life. Let him show, don't miss that. Let him show, let him give evidence of. So think through this for a moment. So James asked the question, who's wise, who's understanding, who is living out the truth of the gospel is what he's saying. Let him show it, not just talk about it, not just be a sayer, be an obeyer, not just be a sayer, be a doer. He says, let him show it. It will give evidence of that life. Here's the beauty. If I'm a prideful person, at some point, that pride will show itself, amen? And if I'm a humble person, if you're a humble person, if you're a prideful person, it will show itself at some point. You can't mask pride forever, and you can't mask humility forever. Because why? It's part of who we are. It's part of our character, that we develop that through the power of the Holy Spirit, humility that is, we war against the pride. And here he answers his own question. He says this, by his good conduct, let him show his works. So here's what he's saying. It's key number two, and I want you to write this down. So key number two says it like this, and I want to give you an example. So here's an example going off of taming the tongue. So here's the example. An example of walking with good conduct, good behavior, and what we say, going off the same premise, is to not engage in gossip. I know that's hard. I mean, we all like a juicy story, amen? I mean, we do. That's how we're wired. We like gossip. We love to hear about other people's challenges because we don't want to look at our own. And that's how we're wired as humans. So what's a good definition of gossip? Let's get a a working definition. Here's a definition. I didn't make this up, but it's one of the ones that I've heard over the years, and I love it. So here's gossip. Talking to someone about someone who is neither the problem nor the solution. So think through that. So gossip, talking to someone about someone who is neither the problem nor the solution. I know some people say, well, gossip's not a big deal. Actually, it's a huge deal. Uh, We've heard about 12 verses of taming the tongue. It's amazing what the tongue will do when we begin to talk about other people. You know, I've heard people say, well, 
you know, gossip. It's innocent. Well, here's what I've learned. The only thing innocent about gossip is it typically destroys the lives of those who are innocent. I mean, that's how serious this is. You don't want to play around with this. we got 12 verses of what happens when the tongue just goes out of control, and this is part of it. If we're going to have good conduct, keeping in context here what James is communicating, we cannot be people at home, business team, church house that are engaging in gossip. You go to the family reunion, and you leave the family reunion, what's the first thing you do when you get in the car? Oh, you know what you do, don't you? I can't believe that you know, she looks like that, or I can't believe he weighs this much, or whatever, right? I mean, it's insane what we say. I mean, it's just out of control. And then we wonder why our lives are such a wreck. No one gets along. It's the work of the enemy, I'm telling you. He's come to kill, steal, destroy. Everything he does is a lie. It's all about discord. And what he does, he gets us looking inwardly, and he gets us cheering us on, going, hey, what am I not getting that I really, really want? And now the me monster starts welling up, right? Here we go, here we go, here we go. And boom, there it goes. And we start talking and saying things that are not of the Lord. Dave Ramsey, any Dave Ramsey fans in the room? Dave Ramsey, got got one back there anymore, a couple of us here. Dave Ramsey, the financial guy, Dave Ramsey. I've heard this. I don't know it to be true, but I've heard this. I've actually been told that gossip at his company is a fireball offense. Wow. Boy, I wonder how much gossip's going on over there, huh? Probably not a lot. I mean, you just take it seriously and go, we're not going to tolerate this, and we're going to deal with it head on. It's amazing you set those practices, those systems in motion, and what happens is now you bring health into the, the family, right? Into the organization, into the ball team, into the church. That's the whole point of what James is saying here. He's not just like writing because he had, again, free time and extra pad of paper and pencil. He's doing this to combat an issue, a problem. There's an issue that has to be tackled and killed. Remember that at the core of sin is pride. Don't ever forget that. At the core of my sin, at the core of your sin is pride. It's always pride. I've heard people say, well, it's, it's, uh, it's pain. It's trauma. No, it isn't. It's pride. It's pride. That's what it is. Don't buy into the lie. Can pain, can trauma exacerbate the pride? You better believe it can. It's not the core. It's always pride. Go back to the Garden of Eden, right? The Garden of Eden, what happened? Well, you know what happened. The thing went off the rails, right? Yeah, you're going to be like God. Well, that sounds wonderful. I'm going to sign up for that, even though he told me not to do it. When we sin, we're saying to God that my way's better. When I sin, I'm saying to God, my way's better. And when we look at this, we've got to understand this church, that we want to be a people that, that understands this deep theological concept that pride is that viper, the worst viper in the heart, as Edwards always said. It's the me monsters we talk about, the me planet, the me universe. The Bible says that each one, and we read this in James, each one is, is lured. For you fishermen, you fisherwomen, lured. Zzz, right, we're lured. We're baited. Dangled out there. You know, I'm hurt, I'm wounded, I don't feel good, whatever. I'm not getting what I want. And so we just begin to, there it is, it's dangled. It's the lure. We take it. We bite hook, line, and sinker. And now we begin to run with the lure. 
the Bible says no, that there's not just a better way, there's the only way. And you got to remember for those, and they're all over, but those people that are seeking control, don't ever forget this, it's always a telltale sign that their lives are out of control. For people that are seeking control, it's always a dead giveaway. Their lives internally are out of control. Why? Think about this. When your life's out of control, you're just grasping. You're trying to dominate. Because everything's falling apart on the inside. But when Jesus makes all things new, that's the humility. That's the hope, the identity, the contentment, the peace, and the joy that the Bible talks about. That's what he does in the life. I was thinking about some verses to give us here this morning, and I thought of Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Here it is. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, pridefulness, a lying tongue, so there's the mouth, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. Okay, He repeated that twice. must be really, really important. And what's the last one? And one who sows discord among brothers or the brethren. When he says in Proverbs that he hates it, in the Hebrew it means this, it's an abomination. And that word in the Hebrew means it's disgusting to the Lord. So anytime we dive into, it's not a big deal, but we're going to sow a little discord here and talk about that person here. And, and we do this even under the gauge of prayer requests, don't we? Well, let me just mention this as a prayer request. That's, the, that's one of the most just deceitful forms of the enemy. It's gossip. And what happens is it's going to cause damage. He hates it. God hates this. He despises this. How about Galatians 5.15? Great verse leading into the fruit of the Spirit in 22 and 23, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So again, he, he's writing to the church in Galatia. Obviously, there, there was an issue, like a really big issue going on here. He says, look, if you're going to be wise and understanding, James is saying, do it by your good, godly conduct. Don't just talk about it on Sunday morning. Go live it. Put it into practice. And what's hard is, I get this, when it's only been implemented on the outside on a Sunday morning, and now we're being held accountable to live it out Sunday to Sunday all the day long, that's hard to do because bad habits are hard to break, aren't they? And what do you mean? Well, yeah, that's, that's how we're doing this. It's how businesses, ball teams, homes, and churches get healthy. You live out the Word of God in our lives. How about uh, 1 Corinthians? I love this one. 1 Corinthians 9.27, you're Baptist, you're going to love this one. 1 Corinthians 9.27, the ESV says it like this, but I discipline, some translations say buffet. I know as Baptist, you read that as buffet, I get this. But I buffet my body, no, that's not what he's saying for you golden crowd lovers out there. No, he's saying I discipline it. It's what we've been talking about. You kill it. So if you're here today and you're struggling with gossip, you got to kill this thing. Like, have no tolerance for it in your life, in my life. Kill it. Like, put it to death. You say, why? Because it's going to destroy you and all those that you come in contact with. 
but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, Paul says, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. How about Psalm 19.14? I love this one. Psalm 19.14, let the words of my mouth, there it is, my mouth, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, what's in the heart's going to come out of the mouth, be acceptable to who? To others? No. Man? Want to be man pleasers? No. Be acceptable to who? What's it say? Be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How about lastly, Proverbs 26, 20 through 22. Write it down, Proverbs 26, 20 through 22. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer or gossiper, quarreling ceases. That's pretty good, isn't it? Look, there's the solution. Don't gossip, the quarrel's going to end, period. As charcoal to hot embers. Interesting, this is Proverbs. James already told us about it's going to cause deadly poison that will spread like wildfire. Here's Proverbs. A charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisper, a gossiper, are like delicious morsels. Boy, they taste yummy, don't they? They go down in the inner parts of the body. And you say... How are we supposed to actually carry this out? We're hearing what the Holy Spirit's speaking through the Word here. So how do we practically carry this out? It's a great question. Well, here it is, the last part of the verse, pretty simple. In the meekness of what? Wisdom. So what is meekness? So meekness is weakness, right? If you're meek, you're weak. True? No. What does it mean to be meek? Well, the biblical definition of being meek is this. It's being gentle, but it really is the word we talk about often around here. It's being humble. So when he says through the meekness of wisdom, there's a a gentleness there. Doesn't mean you don't stand for truth, by the way. Please hear me on this. Man, when the truth is on the line, we stand for the truth. But even that you can do in a gentle way. You don't have to scream and yell. I've seen that happen in even churches. Just shame on us. Like shame on us. That we got to scream and yell. We don't have to do that. We can disagree, but we can still and should walk in unity. Amen? Uh, There can be disagreements, but we need to walk in unity under the guise of the Holy Spirit, under the umbrella of God's Word. Meekness. Humility. Think about that for a moment. Key number three, here it is, last key. Biblical wisdom and biblical humility go hand in hand. Biblical wisdom and biblical humility go hand in hand. You cannot extrapolate the two. You may be here today going, hey, I need wisdom, I want it, but I don't want to be humble. Good luck. Like, this isn't going to work out. Hey, I want to be humble, but I don't want wisdom. Good luck. These two go hand in hand. You say, how do you know? It says it right here, in the meekness, in the humility of wisdom. I mean, think about this. Think about someone who you know is wise. Just for a moment, let's do a little exercise. Class, let's do an exercise. So think right now of someone that you know who's wise. You got them in your head? Someone who you think, man, they're a wise person. She's a wise woman. He's a wise guy. No, it's not what I meant. I mean, literally, he's a wise man. Think about that. Do you got them? As you're thinking about that person... Isn't that person also humble? True, right? 
Also, as you carry this further, here's what I've learned. The person that is humble and who's wise is also typically the one that doesn't say a whole lot. Man, they're just, they know their security and their identity is, and they're willing just to listen. Matter of fact, if you remember, we read in James chapter 1, be quick to listen, slow to speak. You think through this thought, and the reality is that you know, gossip is sin. That's the reality. It's a form of pride. It's a form of selfishness. Think about it. The prideful person doesn't desire to confess their sin. Have you ever been in a gathering, maybe it's a men's gathering, maybe a women's gathering, a student gathering, where people humble themselves and they actually begin to get real, honest, and open, and they confess their sin? Have you ever been in one of those groups? I know I have, and it's like the air goes out of the room in a good way. I mean, all pretense is gone. Everyone takes off the masks, takes off the church clothes, so to speak, of all the charade and the gimmicks and the games. And they're like, man, I'm really struggling with X. Will you gather around me and pray for me? Because this has a grip on my life. And here's what I've learned. When people, when one person has the courage to do that, there's typically at least one more other person in the room going, Man, they're reading my mail because, like, I'm dealing with the same issues. Now they're confessing their sin. You see the dominoes? But when we're prideful and we're gossiping, what happens? There's discord. We're not growing together. The Bible says this, confess your sins to one another. There is power in confession. There is something that happens when, when I go to you or you go to me and I say, man, I'm really struggling with this. Man, I need you to stop whatever you're doing right now. I need you to pray. Man, I'm dealing hard. I've had men call me from hotel rooms late at night going, I'm going to pick up this remote in just a minute. Man, do something for me. Like intercede because I can't control this. And then we start praying and we pray hard and we pray harder and we pray harder and we go against the schemes of the enemy. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Do you believe that? I know I do. I'm not hoping this works out. I know this works out. And when we begin to live this life, that we say, hey, we're going to live for Jesus all the days of our life. We're going to do it with wisdom and understanding and good conduct, good behavior that honors the Lord. What's going to happen to all the people around us? They're going to go, wow, this is amazing. What's going on over there? Man, I want that. I'm dying for that. I'm hurting. My life's a mess. I can't even wake up each morning because I feel like I don't want to live through the day. And, and now I see someone over there at Enon Baptist Church that don't have it all together, but they serve the one that does. Man, your life is preaching a thousand sermons one way or the other. And that's why it's so important that we see this for what it is. I made a note here. I said, what are two of the most powerful ways to show with action that God is growing humility in your life? Well, it's confession and repentance. Gut-wrenching. Gut-wrenching. Tear duct empty. Confession and repentance. Some people say, hey, you've been telling us about what's going on in your world. Why aren't you bawling? You want to know why? There's not any more tears left. I mean, the Lord has been speaking to my heart and dealing with me like I need to be dealt with. 
and the tears that have drenched the pillow. I can't even tell you the number of nights where the Lord has been working on me. How about you? Are you cut to the heart? At the point where you're like, I want to kill this. I'm not going to allow this to have the last word of my life. I want to kill this sin. I'm going to name it every day. Today's day 23, whatever it is in your life, and you're just like, bam, I'm going to kill this. You will not have dominion over me. How about Matthew 5, 5, Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says it like this. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Wow. I mean, think about this, because who we hang out with is who we become like. You say, well, they're my friend. Well, okay, great, but maybe your friend's working for the enemy. You ever thought about that? Well, they go to church. Maybe your friend's working for the enemy. I mean, who we hang out with is who we become. Bad company corrupts is what 1 Corinthians says. 1 Corinthians tells us that. That's what it says. Bad company corrupts. Who we hang out with is who we become like. Are you surrounding yourself with godly people? Wisdom-filled people? Ladies, men, do you have a person in your life that's godly, that's humble, that's wise? Men, do you have another man that's godly and humble and wise? Ladies, do you have another lady that's it's godly, humble, wise. You gotta have it. You can't do this alone. The enemy loves isolation. He loves it. Oh, he laughs. He just laughs. Oh, this is great. It's easy. I can do this one blindfolded. I can do this one eyes closed. He knows this from the word of God that two are better than one and a threefold strand cannot be easily broken. We get brothers together, sisters together, and they unify in one accord. Woo! The, the gates of hell are shaken. But when it's one to one, they're just laughing. We've got to be a people that go to war. You say, what's so important about wisdom? Well, Proverbs 4, 7 says it like this. Proverbs 4, 7, I love this. Wisdom is the principal thing. It's the principal thing. Not getting the raise, not moving to where you want to move, not vacation, not whatever, fill in the blank. That's not the principal thing. Those things come and go. Here today, gone tomorrow. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and all you're getting Get understanding is what the New King James says. That one says wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and all of your getting, you get that understanding. Think about that. It's so important, isn't it? Are you craving wisdom? That's the question. Am I craving wisdom? Do we get up every morning going, I need God's wisdom. I got to have this. If I'm going to surrender all and not surrender some, I have to have the Lord's wisdom. I can't do this. I can't save me. I can't save you. But Jesus can do both. But it's going to take wisdom to live this life. That's why the takeaway question is simply this. So who have I gossiped about recently? Just think about that. I was thinking about that in my own life and just answered honestly. Who have I gossiped about recently? If we want to kill this and not have it in our lives, let's just ask who have we gossiped about? That's why the action steps are two. I'm going to give you two of them. Here they are. So here's a practical application. So when someone approaches you about information regarding someone else, immediately ask that person, have you spoken with that someone else to resolve the matter? So if I come up to you after the service and go, man, have you heard about so-and-so? You need to stop me in my tracks and go, John, have you talked to them about this? Now, what's that going to do to me? I'm going to go, whoa, I'm not used to this. This is kind of cool, but it's not cool. Okay, uh, in my mind, I'm going, do I lie? <laughs> Okay, no, I haven't. Okay, you better go talk to them first. Now, what's that do? There's guardrails, there's a safety net. 
That's going to keep us from gossiping. That's going to stop it right in its tracks. Because think about this. If you partake, if I partake in that illustration, so uh, let's say that you come to me. You come to me and you say, man, you're going to love this one. This is so amazing. But of course, it's a prayer request. And I'm just like, oh, I can't wait to hear this one. Did you know what's happening? Here's what's happening, church. I may not be robbing the bank, but I'm driving the getaway car. And I'm still going to prison as well. I may not be robbing the bank, but I'm willingly driving the getaway car and I will go to prison as well. You say, well, okay, what if they have good intentions? Well, that's irrelevant. Don't participate in it. Well, they're my friend. Tell them not to do it. I mean, this is not overly complicated. But it's hard, though, because when you're in bad habits for so long, what happens? Well, they're hard to break. But we have to do this. This is what builds health in any home, business, ball team, or church. You follow God's word. I follow God's word. And we know that the mouth will destroy. It is so cunning. It is so deceitful. They might be playing you. Have you thought about that? That person, they might be playing you, might be being played. You can be a pawn. And manipulators love to do this. When you study the psychology of this, there are people out there that love to manipulate. Matter of fact, that's why they love gossip. See, they love gossip because gossip is a great technique psychologically called deflection. So if I know I'm about ready to be exposed and I can throw out a tasty trifle, now you're running with a tasty trifle, not dealing with my sin, right? It's amazing how this mind works, the deceitfulness of it that's in the heart. We've got to be on our guard. How will you know what's false if you first don't know what's true in the Word of God? How will you identify the lies if you're not in the Word? And the word's not in you. You got to think through this because these are practical techniques that, I mean, you think about that game we used to play as kids, right? We'd whisper, you know, you'd say, you'd start it off with one person, say, you know, uh, John's wearing a toupee. And the next person would say it. And they get to person number 20 and number 20 says, John has on a wig that's red. How do we ever get to, well, that's what happens, right? Even with innocent motives, we just we just kind of, well, we add a little here, add a little there, but they really say, oh, this thing's off the tracks. Number two, when someone reaches out to ask you if they've offended you, joyfully receive and respond to their humility. Now, I'm talking when someone comes to you or me in humility. I just sense something's wrong here. What have I done? Will you show it to me? I want to hear it and learn from it and grow. I pray that I, I pray that you, if we're on that receiving, I pray that we're like, oh, this is amazing. Thank you, Lord. And I've seen this happen where a brother to a brother, man, there's great humility and man, there's now great koinonia, great fellowship, great oneness. Life is way too short to keep long accounts. It's way too short to keep long accounts. The bitterness and the unforgiveness and the resentment that will begin to, in our hearts, damage the other person is actually holding ourselves hostage. Don't go there. Don't live there. So the last thought is simply this. When you have a hard heart, you may miss a blessing. You ever thought about that? I was thinking about that recently because I've done that more than once. When you have a hard heart, you may miss a blessing. God may be beginning to do something in your life and he wants to bless you and the hardness of the heart. Now I'm deaf to the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't hear what he's saying in my life. I'm quenching, I'm grieving. What's the word of God say? Well, here's what it says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Question. 
by his good conduct, his good behavior, let him show, exhibit, live out this faith and obedience in works. In how? The meekness, the humility of wisdom. Father, we love you. and God, I don't know what's going on in others' lives. I know what's going on in my own life. and That's a handful. But God, I pray that in this time of reflection that we would look to you in such a way that you would just work. God, I think of three questions as we close. What is God's vision for your life? What is God's vision for your life? Do you know? Do you care? What is God's vision for your family? What's His vision for your family, dads? Do you know? Do you care? And what's God's vision for our church? Do we know? And do we care? Father, I pray that we would see very clearly that the answer to all three questions is pretty simple. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. God, give us a holy awe and fear of reverence of you right now. Right now, God, give it to us. Show us clearly what you want us to do. Eternity is way too long to be wrong. Show us, God. Show us your glory. Give us courage to surrender all, not some, but everything today. Abandon everything. God, do that in our hearts. Show us our sin. Show us our gossip. Show it to us, God. Reveal it, expose it so we can let the healing begin. God, we love you. And we pray that as we seek to bring glory to your name and be disciples that make disciples, God, do a work in my heart first. Do a work that only you can do. And to you be the praise, to you be the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.